0: Well good morning everyone. Good morning. Good morning. It's nice to be here this morning. Thank you Jeff and your team for leading us in the praise and worship of our Lord and Savior. I also want to say thanks to George this morning for giving me another opportunity to, to preach. Um, I'm going to continue in the, in the book of 2 Timothy where I preached uh, from uh, over a year ago now. Yeah, the pastoral epistles are Uh, some of my favorite books of the Bible and so I like to speak from them. Do you ever get discouraged because it seems like you're not winning the battle in living for Christ? Do you ever wonder why you don't have a strong spiritual life? Do you question why you're not progressing in your sanctification? Victorious, faithful living, and a strong spiritual life do not characterize the church's rank and file. The deep-down joy and the radiance that should characterize Christians seems to have faded out. There seems to be a lack of a moral dynamic that makes us weak and helpless in the face of rampant wrong. Why is that? Why do we feel so weak as Christians? Why do we feel that sometimes life as a Christian is just too much? It seems so difficult to endure in being faithful to our Lord. Progressing in our sanctification seems so strenuous and complicated. Is it maybe because we're afraid that we will suffer for living a truly biblical lifestyle or that we're afraid of being persecuted or singled out for our stance on biblical truth? Or maybe it's because we're not sure that the Bible has it right. Or maybe we don't even know what the Bible has to say, period. The discovery of the secret of faithful, victorious living is something that is very much needed among Christians today. If we find it, anything can happen, but without it, nothing will change. Now I want to give you some statistics on the moral and spiritual beliefs among self-professing evangelical Christians. That's us, folks. Uh, I think that's about as close a description as we're gonna get. So these statistics might apply to us. These stats will gauge our present spiritual health and strength. Now listen to these as I read some of these. 78% believe that Jesus was the first and greatest being created by God, 78%. 71% of adult born again Christians are more likely to develop their own set of religious beliefs rather than those taught in the church. 60% believe male female cohabitation outside of marriage is acceptable. 55% believe a good person can earn his or her salvation. 52% believe that people are basically good. 51% believe that God accepts the worship of all religions. 46% believe the Holy Spirit is a force rather than a person. 44% believe that Jesus committed sins while on earth. 39% believe worshiping alone is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. 33% believe that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion and not about objective truth. 30% believe Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. And 22% believe gender identity is a matter of choice. Folks, all of these beliefs are erroneous. And sadly, only 2% of us can actually defend our faith. We as a church are in great danger of slipping into irrelevance when we casually forget the Bible's doctrine. Someone once said, everyone grows old, but not everyone grows up. That's also true for some of us as Christians. We have grown old in the faith, but we have not grown up in the faith. The condition of many Christians today is that we are undernourished spiritually and consequently underdeveloped, weak, confused, and immature in the things of the Lord. Hebrews says we are carried about by every wind of doctrine and have failed to press on to maturity. Now often this is traced back to the churches we attend. In the great majority of cases, weak churches churches are the result of weak leadership. One commentator said, and I quote, There are more popular preachers today than at any time in church history, but few powerful ones. There are also more popular churches, but few powerful ones. There is much activity, but little spiritual fruit. Much talk about Christianity, but little conviction. Many high moral proclamations, but little discipline or accountability. Plenty of doctrinal creeds, but much compromise. Spiritual weakness makes both leaders and congregations subject to almost every religious fad. We have little resistance to disorders and maladies that weaken us still further, and because we have no resources but our own, the smallest difficulty is distressing. Because we have so little understanding of and confidence in the word of God, we turn to psychological bandages and worldly solutions. We have little defense against Satan and are easy prey for false teachers. Ouch. And the fellow that said this knows what he's talking about. So what are the elements of a strong and faithful spiritual life? How do we live the victorious or faithful Christian life? How do we progress in our sanctification? Is there a secret? Well, let's take a look. That's 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, and see what Paul has to say to Timothy. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Remember, Paul's life is coming to an end, and Paul knows that. So what does Paul have to say to his younger son in the faith, to Timothy? What information does he want to relay? Now, if you're able, please stand as we read. Second Timothy, chapter two, verses one to 13. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Please be seated. May God add his blessing to the reading of his words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a great God and Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here together to worship you and to praise you through song and through the reading of your word. Father, we are here because we want to hear what you have to say. And so, Father, we ask that you would open our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to accept what you have for us this morning. Father, illuminate it to us and make it clear. And then, Father, give us the courage and the strength to act upon it. We ask this now. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get into the text, I just wanted to quickly review um, the background and context of this letter. Remember, the, the letter of 2 Timothy is written by Paul about 30 to 35 years after Christ has ascended. So the year is about 66 AD. Paul is writing to Timothy who is acting as Paul's representative in the church at Ephesus. Paul is in prison or more correctly in a dungeon in Rome and he was put there by Emperor Nero who encouraged the persecution of Christians. It says in chapter one verse 15 that everyone in Asia had abandoned uh, Paul except one man. So Paul is sitting in this dungeon alone and he knows it is very unlikely that he will be released. In fact, Paul was beheaded shortly after writing this letter to Timothy. Even though Paul knows that his death is imminent, he does not worry about himself. Paul practiced what he preached. Paul was not anxious about anything, as he told the church at Philippi to be, and he was joyful always, prayed continually, and gave thanks in all circumstances, as he told the church at Thessalonica to be. However, Paul is concerned for Timothy. So Paul writes this letter to Timothy to motivate him, to encourage him, and to give him further instruction. Now, why was Paul so concerned about Timothy? Well, Timothy was facing a time of spiritual uncertainty and weakness. He may have been questioning his calling, his gifts, his sanctification, or even the sufficiency of God's provision and God's word. He was also mired in difficulty. So Paul wrote this letter to remind his son in the faith that he needed to remember and use the divine possessions that he already had, that is his spiritual gift and the power, love, and self-discipline that the Holy Spirit had provided. He did not need to be ashamed, but rather to be willing to join in suffering for the gospel. We covered all this in chapter one. So again, 2 Timothy records for us Paul's last words. In a sense, this is his last will and testament the final words of the greatest missionary theologian of early Christianity. So turn to your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter two, and let's uh, have, a, have a look what Paul has to say to Timothy. So in chapter two, Paul continues his letter of encouragement, instruction, and he starts off in verse one and he says, you then, or whatever version you have, might say, you therefore, in spite of the fact that people will abandon you when you need them the most, I want you to remember all that I have told you. You then sums up all that Paul has said to Timothy in chapter 1. Now, Paul gets a little bossy in the next few verses as he gives Timothy a series of commands. Note, however, that these commands are tempered by the endearing phrase, you then my child or my son. Paul is telling Timothy what to do because he cares so deeply about Timothy. The first command that Paul gives to Timothy is you then, be strengthened or be strong or be empowered. Now this command is in the Greek present tense which means it involves continuous action. Timothy is to keep on being strengthened. This is not simply a command for Timothy to gather his own self-will or to grit his teeth, put his head down and plow through. No, it's because of Timothy's sincere faith and because of the spiritual gift that he has and because of the resources available to him that Timothy had no reason for not continuing to be strong. But Paul is saying, because I know that you are a Christian and because of all the resources available to you as a Christian, you can continue to be strengthened. Okay, but how? Well, the verb to be strengthened, besides being in command, is also in the passive voice, which indicates that the source of Timothy's strength was not in himself. So what is the source? We'll look at the next part. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This might be better translated, you then, my child, keep on being strengthened by means of the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, so what does Paul mean by that? Well, first, let's define grace. Grace is God's unmerited, undeserved, and unearned favor. Grace is a dynamic and benevolent power that applies the goodness of God and the resources of God to our lives in order to save us, to keep us, to enable us, to empower us, to deliver us, to sanctify us, and finally to glorify us. So the grace that forgives us and declares us holy is the same grace that sanctifies and empowers us. In other words, Grace is not merely God's way of drawing us to Him, it is also the way that we grow, remain steadfast and are strengthened in our faith in Christ. So we should all want God's grace, correct? I mean, we sang it this morning. We said We sang, "I hunger for your grace." And Bruce in his prayers said, "We desire your grace." So we say we want it. So how are we strengthened? by or how do we grow strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, to be strengthened by the grace of Christ Jesus is to be continually developing a greater understanding of the Gospel and Scripture and who God is and how unworthy we are. It means coming to a great understanding of God's holiness, justice, and sovereignty, which in turn allows us to see more of our rebellion, selfishness, and pride. we not only see more and more our unworthiness as the object of God's grace, but we also see more and more how great his undeserved favor and love were that drew us to himself. Secondly, though, growing strong in grace also involves developing the Christian character traits that Peter wrote about in Second Peter. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, kindness, and love. Bruce alluded to those in his prayer and in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, all of those. God gives us these character traits when we become a Christian, but we need to develop them by regular Bible study and prayer, corporate worship, fellowship, service, confession of sin, and practicing good stewardship. So our first reading of verse 1, to be strengthened by grace, seems mystical, but it's not. We simply need to remain faithful, and obedient to read and study and memorize scripture and to learn and develop a better understanding of God and God's word and the gospel of grace and we will be strengthened. Remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10? Paul says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul is saying that he is what he is by the grace of God, but that he had to work at it. However, it was still the grace of God that allowed him to do even that. Paul is simply repeating to Timothy what he's told so many others. Allow God's grace into your life by developing your understanding of and being obedient to scripture, and you will be strengthened to do all that he has for you to do. However, we have to work at it. You know, it's often at the times that we feel weak and discouraged that we stop reading and studying our Bible. That's the time that we need to be reading our Bibles even more. God's grace does not flow into us by just sitting there and moping. We have to get up and do something. Do you feel weak as a Christian? Are you accessing God's grace in order to be strengthened? Are we growing in grace in order to be strengthened in the work that God has called us to do? It's going to take time. It's going to take energy. But if we make the effort, God will provide the grace and we will be strengthened. Okay, so Paul has told Timothy to continue to be strengthened. Now he gives him a second command in verse 2 and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The main verb here is to entrust. Again, this verb is a command. So what does entrust mean? Well, it means to put in someone else's guard or safekeeping something that is very valuable. Timothy has been entrusted with something valuable and he was to entrust it to others. Now, what was it that Timothy was to entrust? Well, at the beginning of verse two, Paul says what you have heard from me. So that's Paul's teaching or sound doctrine as he called it in chapter one. Now, why does Paul say what you've heard from me? Why not what he's heard from other respected teachers and leaders? Well, it was very important to Paul that this truth is handed down exactly as Paul had taught it to Timothy. Some may think Paul was being a bit of a control freak here. I mean, why be so sticky as to what Timothy was to pass down? Well, Paul wanted Timothy to think carefully through his apostolic teaching and make sure it got passed on in one piece and in good order to those who would come after him. The truth of Scripture in the Gospel is the most revolutionary message ever heard. We're not allowed to trim off the awkward bits, the challenging parts, and the parts that will make us stand out and get in trouble. Handing on the truth safely and in one piece is the only way to make sure that the next generation is called, whatever it costs, to follow this radical gospel and truth of Christ. Have you ever played the game of telephone? What happens to the message? Yeah, it comes out the other end completely different from how it began. And that's what Paul's trying to avoid here. That's his point a warning. When you try to make sure that truth is passed on exactly as it is in the scriptures, you're going to be accused of being too rigid, too controlling, too conservative, or even worse. Paul was explicit in this command to Timothy. It was extremely important to Paul. Remember, these are Paul's last words. Paul knew he was a dying man, and so he wanted to instruct Timothy. And this is what he wanted him to know. Now, why does Paul add in the presence of many witnesses? He says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust. Why not to say what you've heard from me? Well, this was to give Timothy confidence in what he had been taught by Paul. Peter, Luke, Barnabas, and Silas would have all confirmed Paul's teaching. All of these people were alive during the time of Paul's missionary travels and would have heard what Paul was teaching. Timothy could be fully confident that what he had been taught by Paul was divine truth because it had been heard and confirmed by so many respected witnesses. Look again at verse 2. Timothy is entrusted all that he has heard from Paul to whom? Specifically, to faithful men. Now why? To faith, just to faithful men and why must they be able to teach? Why not entrust Paul's teachings to everyone? I mean, it's important that everyone knows God's truth, correct? Well, he's asking Timothy to invest in the lives of spiritually devout men who are gifted to teach other men who may become potential pastors, elders, and evangelists. Not every believer is called to be a teacher and a teacher of teachers and leaders. But like Timothy, every preacher and teacher is called to guard the purity and integrity of God's Word. As I mentioned, if the church is weak, It is likely because its leaders are weak. If the church is to be strong, then its leaders must be strong. Leaders become strong only if they are carefully built up in the word of God. We have all received truth from faithful men before us, and we are to see that it is passed on accurately to the next generation. This is the start of a continuous process of spiritual reproduction, that of being taught and then teaching. The most solemn responsibility that any believer has especially those the Lord has called to be preachers and teachers is to uphold and defend the integrity of his word. Christian colleges, seminaries, pastors, and other church leaders who deviate from Scripture, defecting to a different gospel, and who want to distort the gospel, will face a dreadful day of reckoning before God. We need to take heed to Paul's command and be warned. Now in this context, this verse applies especially to elders, However, on a more general level, a similar process process should involve all believers, whatever their spiritual gifts. Parents, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, you are responsible to the best of your ability to accurately pass on God's word to those under your care. In an even wider sense, every believer has a responsibility to teach God's truth to any other believer. We can all learn from each other, but we must teach it accurately. So to summarize this process, elders and other gifted teachers, that is faithful men who are able to teach, teach so that others can teach. This is in order to build up the members of the church. This process is called the edification of the saints, so that the edified members can go out and evangelize and bring in more people who can then be edified so that they can go out and evangelize and so on. This is how the church should function Scripture emphasizes the importance of every member evangelism. One commentator said, if every believer truly did his part, the world could be evangelized within one generation. What an amazing paradox. Although God is sovereign and all powerful, he nevertheless entrusts us, his adopted children, with propagating the gospel. As his adopted children, we have this call to be involved in sharing the gospel, to go out and evangelize. We have the same spiritual resources that were available to Timothy. God has given each of us a special ability and a spiritual gift, and he has given us the scriptures. Are we using them? Now in verse three, Paul says, share in suffering. Paul has given Timothy firm instructions. He is to carry out the task of making sure that the body of truth is passed on to faithful men who will pass it on to other faithful men and so on. He has motivated Timothy to be strengthened in this work by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So why would Paul go from trying to motivate Timothy and telling him to entrust the body of truth to others and then say, share in suffering? Seems like demotivation to me. Well, because such faithfulness would inevitably inevitably involve Timothy in suffering even as it had Paul. Realizing man's need for the gospel, Paul implied that Timothy should suffer along with him whatever was necessary in order to take the gospel to others. Paul is trying to be honest with Timothy. Most of us as Christians are surprised at this. When we suffer because we have identified as Christian, we find ourselves questioning why we ask ourselves, do I really deserve this? Shouldn't God be blessing me? However, we must be prepared to suffer for being obedient to what God has called us to do. Scripture is clear, we will suffer for being a Christian, especially as a strong Christian. Folks, we're going to suffer if we are in the will of God. Some of us are suffering because we're out of God's will, but wouldn't it be better to suffer in the will of God? In chapter 1 and 3 of 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy that if you want to live a godly life, you will be persecuted, you will suffer. Did you know that of all the persecuted peoples around the world, 80% are Christians? We need to accept this fact, find strength in it, and be encouraged by it. Our willingness to suffer for the sake of Christ confirms and demonstrates that we have put our faith in Christ. Now, after Paul tells Timothy to be be prepared to suffer, he goes on to present to Timothy the key elements of a strong, faithful, and obedient spiritual life using three illustrations. So, in verse 3, he starts off, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. But note here, he says, not only calls Timothy to be a soldier, but a good soldier of Christ Jesus, a strong, faithful and obedient Christian does not simply do the minimum duty for his Lord, but serves him with everything he has and is. Are we good Christians? Or just Christians? Do we do the minimum duty for our Lord, or do we serve him with everything we have? He goes on in verse 4. Now Paul describes what a good soldier looks like. He says that no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Now, what does that mean? Well, entangled means to be woven into or overly involved in. Civilian pursuits refers to the affairs, business, and occupations of this life. So the soldier is not to be overly involved in the affairs of this life. Some have used this verse to say that a Christian should not own property or be involved in business because these things entangle him. However, Paul is not saying that a Christian should not be involved at all in the affairs of this life. Remember, Paul himself was a tent maker, But that a Christian should not become overly involved in the affairs of this life to the extent that it is impossible for him to free himself to serve Christ. Our business or occupation should still allow us to serve the Lord. Now, we need to be very careful here as we interpret this verse. I can see some people saying, well, why work at all then? Shouldn't we just spend our whole life serving Christ? Remember, you can use the Bible to justify just about anything. But we must use the whole counsel of God when we interpret verses like this. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10 says that he who will not work shall not eat. And Proverbs 6 6 says, look to the ant, you sluggard. In other words, we we are to be busy earning a living We don't have time to go through all the implications of this verse, but when you ponder this verse later, please consider the whole counsel of Scripture. So why not become entangled in civilian pursuits? Well, verse 4 says, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him, enlisted is a military term, it can also be translated chose. Who enlisted us or chose us? Christ. So Christ is to have first place in our lives. Colossians 3.17 says, in everything you do, do it as unto the Lord. So the primary concern of every believer should be to please Christ in every area of our life because he chose us to be his children. The good soldier must not allow the ordinary affairs of this life to become his main object of existence. Rather, the service of Christ must always occupy the prominent place while the things of this life, although required, are kept in the background. Now Paul gives a second analogy for the strong, faithful, and obedient Christian. He says in verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. We all know what an athlete is, we all know what a crown is, what does he mean by compete according to the rules? Well, during athletic games, especially the early Olympic games, every participant had to meet three required rules regarding birth, regarding training, and regarding competition. Comparable rules apply to us as Christians. Rule 1, our birth. We must be truly born again. Rule 2, training. We must be faithful in the study of God's word through self-denial, self-discipline, etc. And Rule 3, competition. We must live our lives according to Christ's divine standards of discipleship, we must maintain an unquestioning obedience to the word of God. If you are a Christian, then you have met the first qualification of being born again. The other two requirements involve constant dedication, effort, and work. This requires that we have the strong qualities of discipline, self-control, endurance, and a certain toughness. Breaking the rules of the Christian can mean that we disqualify ourselves from effective ministry. Someone once said, A spare time Christian is a contradiction in terms. A man's whole life should be one strenuous endeavor to live out his Christianity in every moment and in every sphere of his life. Folks, we need to live as athletes. We should always be in training. Now, Paul gives us one more illustration. The last illustration for a strong, faithful, obedient Christian is the farmer, but not just any farmer. Read verse 6. It is the hard working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The Greek language puts the emphasis on the adjective hard working here, in, cron- in contrast to idle and lazy. So, in other words, you can be a farmer and be idle and lazy. You can be a Christian and be idle and lazy so it were to be hard working. It implies hard and wearisome toil, causing one to sweat and strain to the point of exhaustion. The farmer must work in order to enjoy a share of the crops. The Christian who desires to excel for the Lord cannot be lazy. He must be willing to put forth effort in carrying out the Lord's will for his life. But what does it mean he must have the first share of the crops? Any farmer who is successful must be the first to share in the benefits of his crops if he's going to continue in future seasons and years. So the Christian must experience the benefits of the gospel in his own life if he is to be effective in ministering to the spiritual needs of others. In other words, if you are not in the word of God and letting it enrich you personally, then, you cannot, then it cannot be used to minister to others. The believer must continually be receiving spiritual food from God's word if he is to be effective in sowing the word in the lives of others. Now in verse seven, Paul says, think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. To think here means to ponder, reflect, consider, to mull it over so that you come to fully understand it. Again, the verb here is a command and Timothy is to think it over. He was not just making a suggestion to Timothy. It's important for us as believers to meditate on the Word of God. Then Paul says to Timothy that the Lord will give you understanding. This is what we call the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Paul was saying to Timothy and to us as well, Under the Lord, think over and carefully ponder what I have been saying. Each of these metaphors is worthy of reflection on its own merit, but together they also point to a common truth, the importance of enduring to the end. The diligence that Paul has just described in each case has its reward. The diligent soldier gains the approval of his commanding officer. The diligent athlete wins the victory. And the diligent farmer wins the first share of the crops. The three illustrations have in common the point that success is achieved through single-mindedness, discipline, and hard work. Worthwhile achievements do not come from self-indulgence, but rather diligence. Look at our own life and ask yourself, are you a faithful Christian, a diligent Christian, a strong Christian, a spiritual Christian, an obedient Christian? Are you devoting yourself to guarding and teaching God's Word? Do you deny yourself and count your life as nothing in order to faithfully serve the Lord? Do you continually prepare yourself to serve the Master? Are you willing to pay the price that He demands? If you can answer yes to these questions, then we are promised the Lord will give us understanding in everything. We will be led with wisdom and insight through the challenges that we face to victory. For a faithful and productive life, all of these commands are not optional, but imperatives, because they characterize the sinless life of Jesus Christ. Remember that all of this work has nothing to do with our salvation, but it has everything to do with working out our salvation. In other words, our sanctification. If we want to be strong Christians, then we must be diligent, obedient, and faithful. Now, Paul changes gears here at this point in verse 8. Previously, his commands to Timothy seemed to be admonitions, and Paul has not painted a rosy picture of the Christian life. And he may have anticipated that Timothy would have questions. I can hear Timothy saying here, why should I isolate myself like a soldier or train like an athlete or work hard like a farmer? Why should I work and suffer at all? All of this seems a little much. After all, Paul, I believe that I am saved. I believe that I am going to heaven. My eternity is certain. Paul, you are expecting too much of me. What does Paul say to Timothy? Once again, he tries to encourage and motivate Timothy to faithfulness. And in verse eight, he says, remember Jesus Christ. As with the preceding verbs, this verb remember is a command and Paul is still being bossy. Remember is also in the present tense and so it means to keep on remembering. Timothy, keep on remembering Jesus Christ. And once again, as Paul is so fond of doing, He brings up the Gospel. As Timothy worked and suffered for the truth of Scripture, he was to keep remembering Jesus Christ, who suffered for everyone. And then he adds two descriptions, risen from the dead. It is not the dead Christ that Timothy is to remember, but the risen Lord. And then he adds the offspring of David. Christ is the rightful heir to the throne of David and will once again rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. So, remembering Jesus Christ is essential for all of us who want to serve Him, especially for those of us who may be facing suffering and possible death. We are to remember Christ's example. He reached the glory of heaven by way of the cross and by way of the grave. Should we have it any easier? Now, when Paul says, is preaching my gospel there in the last half of that verse, he is not referring to a gospel that he invented but rather that what he is preaching is in full agreement with the gospel that Christ had entrusted to him to proclaim to others. Paul continues in verse 9, he says, "...for which I am suffering." Again, if Paul is trying to motivate Timothy, why would he bring up suffering again? I think that the key to this verse is in the last half where Paul is trying to motivate Timothy, he refers to the power of God's word and he says, but the word of God is not bound. Timothy, even though I am bound by chains and you may end up that way too, the word of God is not bound. See the exclamation mark there after the word bound? Paul sounds very triumphant here. Paul contrasts his being bound with the inability to bind the word of God. Even if the believer is laid aside because of illness or imprisonment so that he cannot openly proclaim the gospel, God's message is not bound. It continues to have an effect on the lives of others. Suffering can be endured if we are convinced it is for a good purpose. And we can even glory in suffering if the purpose is great enough. The most important message of verse 8 and 9 is not Paul's suffering, but the fact that God's message of salvation in Christ cannot be hindered by our misfortunes. And then in verse 10, Paul says, therefore. Paul says to Timothy, this is why I do what I do. Understanding that the gospel is not bound, Paul says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Paul says that he remembers Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel, which cannot be bound, he will do what he has to do and be willing to suffer whatever may come for those who have been chosen, that is, for the sake of the elect. Paul was not saying that it was going to be easy, but that he was willing to do it for the sake of those elect, for the sake of those chosen by God to believe so that they too might be saved. Because Paul knew the eternal results, is willing to suffer and endure. So with the thought of eternal glory that Paul ends up with in that verse, he now closes this section of his letter with a statement of faith. Now this was likely a quotation or a creed or a hymn, but whatever the origin of this statement, Paul uses it for the purpose of motivating Timothy to faithfulness. He says the saying is trustworthy. Paul says this to place his stamp of approval on the saying and to introduce a truth that was axiomatic which means it was a truism in the early church that was commonly known and believed. This is the sort of thing you can imagine people memorizing, teaching their children, and then repeating under their breath when standing before tribunals, when being beaten by guards, or simply when facing temptation. In other words, when they were enduring for the gospel. I would suggest that these three verses would be good for us to memorize. So let's have a quick look at them verse 11 the first line says if we have died with him we will also live with him this is a promise folks if we have identified with christ in his death and consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to god in christ then we that when we die we will whether naturally or by martyrdom then we will live with christ in eternity Remembering this basic truth would bring Timothy much encouragement in his suffering. Then in line two, Paul says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. It's only as we keep on enduring to the end that we will be saved in time of persecution. The believer who perseveres in suffering is promised that he will reign with Christ. Here we see the direct correlation of eternal rewards and faithfulness in this life. The only life that can endure is an obedient life. The third line is negative. It says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. Those who deny Christ by refusing to receive him as their Lord and Savior will certainly be, not be denied by Christ in the future. However, I think the context here is to do with suffering and it is likely that this verse refers to the believers denying Christ in his daily life by not being faithful or by refusing to be a good testimony. Although the believer has eternal life and has been delivered from condemnation, he will be denied rewards by Christ if he denies Christ in his daily walk. And then verse 13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Here again, the context refers to believers who are suffering for the cause of the gospel The word faithless can also be translated unfaithful. As believers, we may occasionally lapse into sin and are not as faithful to the Lord as we ought to be, but he is always faithful. Christ cannot deny himself, and therefore he will not deny even unfaithful members of his own body. True children of God cannot become something other than children when we are disobedient and weak. Christ's faithfulness to Christians is not contingent on their faithfulness to him. Paul makes it clear that even our own doubt and unbelief cannot change him. He remains faithful, he cannot deny himself. What a great few verses to memorize, and I would suggest that we do that. So what about you? How are we feeling? Strong? Weak? Defeated? Victorious? Discouraged? Encouraged? Hudson Taylor once said, we do not put our faith in our faith or in our feelings because they will change and fail. We put our faith in Christ. It is not by trying to be faithful but in looking to the faithful one that we win the victory. So have you put your faith in your feelings? Or have you put your faith in the faithful one? There are certain things that the faithful, obedient, spiritual Christian has to endure, such as suffering for the faith. There are certain things he has to avoid, such as becoming entangled with the affairs of the world, There are certain mandates that he has to obey, namely the commands of the Lord. There are certain things he has to do, including tasks that seem mundane and ordinary. And just as surely, there are things that we will be given to enjoy, the victory and the rewards of a dedicated, selfless, and disciplined life. If you are not a Christian and life becomes too much, you are feeling helpless, discouraged, and weak. All you have are human means of help and encouragement. These may work for you for a while, but they are only temporary. You don't have all the blessings and rewards that Paul has just reminded Timothy of. You have nothing but human resources to be strengthened. If you want to know God as your Father, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, how to be forgiven of your sin and how to be strengthened and have all the resources available through the Holy Spirit, then I would strongly encourage you to speak to someone. Your eternal future is at stake. For those of us who are Christians, when life seems overwhelming, God seems far away, there's no enthusiasm left in your life, and you're discouraged, what do you do? Do you even know and recognize that you are weak? Do you try human means to fix yourself? You know, Jesus does not expect the impossible from us. The psalmist said, he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. So what's to be the source of our strength? We are to be strengthened by the grace of God. The grace of Almighty God will help you to take the next step in your devotion to Him, in the reading and studying of His word, in your family life, and in your duty to Him. God is asking us to be disciplined and obedient and to faithfully endure so that we can entrust the gospel and the truth of God to someone else. He has given us the means of His grace to strengthen us. You know, the thing that really testifies for God and for the people of God is steady perseverance and faithfulness, even when others don't see it. The only way to live an undefeated life is to live looking to God and depending on His grace and He will look after the outcome that's the secret. And it's not really a secret, is it? What we, his children, cannot accomplish in our own strength, our Heavenly Father can do by the power of his Spirit and his grace. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We are humbled this morning by your word. Father, you have revealed to us that we may not be good soldiers. We may not always compete according to your rules. And Father, we all know that often we are lazy and idle. And so, Father, we ask that you forgive us for that. Father, our desire is to be faithful. Our desire is to endure. And so we come to you now. We ask for your grace. Father, we desire your grace. Help us, Father, to be good Christians. Help us to compete according to your rules. Help us to be hardworking. For, Father, our desire is to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.